it's like an organ, like a part of the body, which is planet Earth, because for one thing, they are very influential on the global climate uh, level in keeping the balance between humidity rising from the tropics and diverting to the temperate regions. And in the tropics itself, the rainforests are the most important catchment devices for water. So without those forests up on the hills, we will be seeing more floods as we have been seeing in Asia and in Colombia recently and in other places too. And another reason for concern, of course, is the loss of biodiversity. If we lose the rainforest, we're losing species. And we're definitely losing species by the minute right now. Some people guess uh, about a thousand species can go per day. But also you're investing in your grandchildren and their quality of life because the forest goes along with your quality of life for climatic reasons as we have seen but also because people just like to be able to go out and enjoy nature and uh, if nature is gone and the diversity is decreased and impoverished then the quality of life will be impoverished too. Rainforests contain more than half of all the species of plants and animals on this earth, yet they cover only 6% of the land. They produce much of the oxygen on which our lives depend, and they can reduce the effects of global warming by taking in carbon dioxide. They have been here for the last 350 million years, yet over the last century we have cut down and eliminated two-thirds of the forests of tropical Asia and Africa. The world will be unimaginably poorer if we succeed in destroying them all. Yes? What is this? Oh, Walter, Walter, yes. Oh, I'm here. It's the time to use in the morning, is it? Right. For, for this, are you for breakfast? Right. We'll be down in a minute, okay? Okay. Gracias, gracias, gracias. Hey. Okay. It's five o'clock in the morning and it's getting bright. This is day one, the start of our visit to the rainforest. Look, wait, this is, look, Johnny, look, look. It's absolutely magnificent. Look, and this is only the large, this is only the edge of the rainforest. Look, look at the gas. That's magnificent, isn't it? We didn't see this at all last night when we arrived in the dark. Look. No, it was entirely pitch dark last night, wasn't it? Do you all sound? Oh, I can't wait to get to the rainforest. This is only the hotel, the lodge grounds. This is only outside the rainforest. What will it be like inside? Come on, let's get yeah, let's let's boots on. Our lodge was on the very edge of the rainforest, just a 15-minute drive to La Selva Biological Reserve, where we were to meet Eric, our guide for the next four days. My name is Eric Castro. I've been working at La Selva Biological Station for four years, and I'm from Puerto Viejo. I've been living here all my life. La Selva itself is 1,500 hectares of undisturbed rainforest. There has been a research station here for the last 30 years where university graduates from all over the world come to study and understand the forest. Projects on every aspect of the rainforest, from the canopy to the leaf litter, are carried out. It's here too that the National Geographic, the BBC and now RTE 
come to show the wonders of the natural world. Tenemos aquí unos visitantes de Irlanda que vienen a firmar los sonidos de la naturaleza aquí en la estación biológica La Selva. ¿Qué le parece? The research station buildings are separated from the rainforest by a wide river which we had to cross via a high suspension footbridge. This wooden bridge swayed alarmingly hundreds of meters above the swollen brown river, but it gave us a vantage point from which to view the forest. This is the Puerto Viejo River. It joins the Sarapique River about a kilometer down here, downstream from this point. And the reserve is in the middle of those two big rivers. So the two rivers are boundaries of the reserve. That is correct. So this is natural geographic boundary, and then it makes it easier to have a reserve in an area like that. Yes, when they decided to enlarge the reserve, because originally this reserve was smaller than what it is now, uh, they decided to have it in the middle of those two big rivers, because that way the reserve would be better protected. That way, uh, people have a hard time trying to get into the reserve because the water level is high and there's no bridges. This is the only one. This is the only bridge. I'm looking at the water level. It looks very high to me. Is this high at the moment? Uh, not very. It gets much higher. Really? Yes, it does. See, right now, it's, there's what, like 10 meters? Um, you tell me. It looks very muddy. I don't know how you can tell how deep it is. Well, it's about 2 meters deep right now, but I mean... There's about 10 meters from here of to the water, and, um, and the water level has been 3 meters below the bridge. So 7 more meters of water, just imagine that. All of this area completely covered by water. That is amazing. And what time of the year does this happen? In February which is supposed to be the middle of the dry season here. <laughs> now, if I were to leap off the bridge into the river, what would eat me down there? Probably crocodiles and caimans. Are there crocodiles and caimans there? There are crocodiles and caimans. Crocodiles are not very common, but once in a while we see a small crocodile here. Caimans are much more common, but caimans are harmless. They're smaller crocodiles. They are smaller. I don't think I'll be jumping in just yet. <laughs> The edge of the forest consisted of high trees with an evergreen canopy forming a green wall. But underneath this, I could see into the forest where it was quite dark and amazingly open, not at all like the jungle ads you see on television for deodorant. And from here, it didn't seem to be raining. But when I got inside, oh boy. I can hear lots of rain, but I can't actually feel any drops falling down on top of me. Is it raining, Eric? No, it isn't. Right now it's just dripping from last night. Yeah, it really rained last night. I could hear it before I came this morning on the roof of the bedroom, lashing down. So all that rain is up in the canopy and is dripping slowly down now. And that's what is keeping the humidity right now. It is very humid. I am absolutely sweating. My clothes are stuck to me. My face is all shiny. The flies are skidding off my nose. It's so hot. And it's going to get hotter later today. And raining like it was last night, lashing down. It will probably be that way later today. I can't wait. <laughs> the rainforest was a whole new world. There were lots of different types of tall trees, colourful orchids, thick, dense shrubs, ferns and mosses everywhere. Although I'm a botanist and familiar with Irish forests, I was struck by the fact that I could not recognise or put a name on a single species. 
Not a tree, not a flower, not even a blade of grass. Mind you, there are over 320 species of tree here. We'd be hard-pressed to find 20 in an Irish forest. What on earth is this? It looks like a whole collection of sticks, like someone's going to light a fire. Are they the roots of that tree? Those are the roots of that tree. That's what we call a walking palm. And a walking palm? Walking palm because it was studied in South America and they found out that the palm is, uh, is able to walk, to move from one place to another as it grows up to find more light. So it pulls up its roots and it walks over there and it puts them down again. Come on. <laughs> no, not that way. But um, they start off with only two roots and then they grow more and more roots that uh, come out of the trunk and go into the ground. I can see that like props. Yes. So presumably they only grow the roots on the side where there is food or light or where they want to go. That is correct. So the tree actually doesn't move as such but it's its center moves because the its roots center are on moves. One side. That's yeah. right. And do the roots that are on the bad side? They die. Di they die. Do they? They die yeah. off as well as the roots that are in the center. How far might it move in its lifetime? This project uh, studied one that moved something like a meter. A meter. How yeah. long would it live, say? They can live a long time, eighty to a hundred years. Well, I suppose being able to move around helps. <laughs> it does help. And see the fruit up there. The fruit is a good source of food for a lot of different species of animals. Among, uh, or some of them are uh, monkeys and birds. They both feed on those palms. You hear that noise in the background? It's a nightingale wren. Wrens have a lot of different calls. So sometimes it's very difficult to identify the species because they all sound very similar and they have very large repertories. And like wrens in Ireland, they are small and brown, they have much colour, so they need to make a lot of noise to attract their kind. Is that what it is? It's the same principle here. What's that knocking noise? The knocking noise is the territorial drumming of a large, very nice, colorful woodpecker called a pale bill woodpecker. That's a male telling other males that this is its territory, so they should stay away. The birds have bright, colorful feathers, royal blue, violet, emerald green, orange, and indeed their names are as colorful as their plumage. They're a splendid quetzal the long-tailed mannequin and the black-faced solitaire. Certainly when it comes to dressing up and advertising your wares, you cannot beat the birds of the rainforests. Well, it's not just birds. There's a whole variety of amphibians and insects here just as colourful. 
Oh, lovely. Look at the frog in the oh, yeah. I'm going to know. I am going to get a picture of that. Yeah, they always hide behind the bloody thing. Yeah. You know, get it into focus and... He's a poison arrow frog, is he? That's a poison arrow frog. Why are they called poison arrow frogs? They're called poison arrow frogs because they belong to a family of frogs that contain a lot of uh, toxic compounds on their on their skin. And there's this one species of frog in that family found in Colombia that the Chocó Indians use to extract the venom and then they use the, that venom to uh, put in the tip of their arrows, arrows that later they use for hunting. And they go for monkeys and birds. Um, when the arrow breaks the skin of a monkey, let's say, then that venom paralyzes the, the animal. And it falls down and, and they it can falls eat down it. And but why, eat. why do the frogs have it? What do the frogs use the poison for? Uh, as protection. From being eaten. That's correct. But this one is bright red and he looks as if he's wearing a pair of dark blue tights on his legs. <laughs> so he looks very exotic altogether. And this, I suppose, is warning colour. Do not eat me, I am poisonous. That's correct. But look at this here on the ground. It's like the set of A Bug's Life. This is a film where all the ants are walking along carrying things and there's a whole colony of ants walking across the path here, carrying big green leaves. And the leaves are about 40 times the size of the ant. I presume these are leaf-cutting ants, are they? That's correct. And where are they going with the leaves? They're taking those leaves into the nest. And do they eat the leaves? No, they don't eat the leaves. Actually, they take the leaves into the nest, clean them very well, and then they cut them in smaller pieces. Uh, once the pieces are small enough, so they can shoo them, they shoo them, they, they add saliva and feces, and they make a spongy stuff with all of that. Then they leave that spongy stuff to ferment, and once it is fermented, then they plant the fungus in it, and that's what they eat. Oh, they so these the are the famous ant gardens, where they actually are that's, making a garden. That is correct. They're absolutely great. Look, there's one lazy one, he's getting a lift. Why is he sitting on the leaf being carried? See a baby one. No, it's actually a soldier. This, <laughs> Some soldier getting a lift. Isn't it interesting? The soldiers are smaller than the, than the workers. workers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And why is, what work? Who's going to attack this ant carrying the leaf? Well, there's a, a family of flies called 40, 40D flies. And these flies are parasitic. So they will attack... Um, ants that have a big head capsule. And they do have big heads. Look, the head is the biggest part of them. Yeah. And lay an egg in it. In their head? In the head. Yuck! And how will the soldiers stop this? The soldiers have a very small head, so they're not, gonna, they're not going to get attacked. And they can, because they're not uh, busy carrying anything, then they can attack the fly and scare it away. Oh, so they're really on the lookout post. If they see any flies coming, they chase them away. It is absolutely fascinating. Everything in the rainforest has a place in the order of things. Nothing exists by itself. A case in point are the bromeliads, a family of plants that grow 40 feet up in the air on the branches of the big trees and look for all the world like the rosette of leaves on the tops of pineapples. Yep.
Uh, they look like a pineapple top because they are in the same family as pineapples. So these are pineapples that go in the trees. The fruit is not like pineapple at all. Most of them have flowers that are hummingbird pollinated. They have these very nice colorful flowers, red, orange or yellow. That attracts the hummingbirds. This is like a little well, the water in the middle of it. Yeah, and there's a lot of insects and other animals that take advantage of that little uh, tank in the middle of the plant. They either find water to drink there or they find a place to live. Frogs, for example, some species will, uh, will lay the eggs inside that little tank where there's a little bit of water so that the eggs and tadpoles develop inside the plant. So these, in fact, are the water storage tanks then for things like monkeys who the, need to drink water the same as we do. Correct. And they come to these things and they stick their faces in and drink it. They either drink it or when it goes for a month without rain in this area, then what, what they do is they pull the leaves out and shoo at, on the base of the leaf so they get some liquid some water from there. Like eating an artichoke. You pull out the leaf and you suck the bottom of it. God, they're very swanky altogether. So that's how they get through the dry season. That's now, right. would the monkeys know where there are good bromeliads or do they just find them by accident as they move along? Oh, no, they know where they are. They know that uh, in areas of secondary forest, there's more bromeliads than inside the primary forest where it's a little bit darker. So the dry season, they're all in the pubs in the secondary forest. But this is not the dry season, this is the wet season. So where are the monkeys? <laughs> Try as we might, we couldn't find the monkeys. Though Eric did assure us that we would hear them when the heavy rain started. But that didn't spoil our enjoyment. My husband Johnny and I were having the time of our lives. Well, did you ever think we'd see the day when we'd be in the tropical rainforest? No, I only read about it in school and... Uh, and encyclopedias and, and, and saw television stuff. I never thought I'd see the actual day we'd be actually inside in a rainforest. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Look at it. Trees going straight up to heaven, straight backs on them, yeah. going way out of sight. They must be 40, 50 metres high. Exactly, yeah. They must be, what, three, three four or five pounds are the size of our trees. But look, the interesting mm-hmm. thing is that every single space on the branches all the way down is covered in plants. It's a fierce competition for life here. If it was at home in Ireland... What we'd have would just be mosses. But here, there are absolutely other plants grown out of them. Things like leaves like laurel, things with leaves like ferns, hanging off the branches. And there's roots coming down. Look at those things yeah. like tires and good well, they're actually growing them. in front of our eyes, aren't they? But what I'm here. amazed about is that you can see right through. I can, we must be able to see 30 metres along hmm. the ground in between the trees. There's very little growth on the ground yes, itself. It's actually dark inside in the uh, rainforest, but no... And be, no, but there's not much jungle. I mean, if I wanted to walk through the woods, we're on the path here now, but if I wanted to walk away over there, yeah. I'd be able to do it. OK, they'd knock down a few You'd things a out of the way. But you, know. you wouldn't need a huge machete. You could actually no, do it. No, you could it. actually do it, yeah, you could indeed. It's, it's, it's not that terribly different to, to the thickness of growth in our, our forests, is it? Anyway, we better catch up on Eric. Oh. Eric! Yes? What's that sound? How can I hear an engine in the middle of the jungle? In the middle of the jungle? That's because we are close to a banana plantation, and the engine that we're hearing right now, it's an airplane spraying those banana plantations. What would they spray them with? Probably some kind of pesticide in order to control disease that the bananas get on the leaves. 
And does that kind of spraying do any harm to the rainforest? According to them, it doesn't. But who knows? If the wind is blowing in the wrong direction. If the wind, yeah, the wind will carry that stuff into the river, that's for sure. And those banana plantations were once rainforest too, were they? That's correct. They were clear for cattle first and then for bananas. And why did they change from cattle to bananas? Because cattle is not very good business in Costa Rica, not anymore. So they, they turned the cattle ranch, uh, ranches into banana plantations. Much of the land of Costa Rica that has been cleared of rainforest is now planted with bananas and coffee. Bananas bring in $80 million of foreign capital per year, while high-quality Costa Rican coffee is worth $40 million. But according to a spokesperson from the Costa Rican Tourist Board, the big money comes from tourism, $1 billion annually. Ecotourism is one of the main products that Costa Rica sells around the world. So the tourism as a, as a product in Costa Rica is the main product that we sell that is, is most important than bananas, most important than coffee and meats. So they produce uh, 1 million 25 people last 1999. That means 987 millions of dollars. That's why this is the main important product in Costa Rica. Like uh, 65 or 6 percent of people come in order to see or to look for nature. So they see nature in national parks. Uh So what sort of nature do they see? What sort of forests do you have? 25% of our land below protected areas. So we can see dry forests too. Uh, We can see mountain or pre-mountain forest, cloudy forest, rainforest, of course. So we can see all of that in our country. Now, how can you make sure that the tourists who come, all this million tourists, mm-hmm. are not doing damage to the rainforest? How can you make sure the hotels are not damaging by being there? One important program in Costa Rica is official policy from Costa Rican Tourist Board is certification of sustainable tourism that gives a special seal that the hotels can promote around the world. That seal means that they fulfill with four different parameters of sustainable. That is, uh, one is biological part, the second is socio-economical part, infrastructure, and the uh, client, of course. This is four different parts. If we check that they are doing for in this in the right way, maybe they are supporting our model of image of tourism. And then do you have an overall plan for the country a land use plan, a management plan to keep Costa Rica from developing the wrong way. Yeah, now we are working with Japanese government. So the agreement is trying to make a land use plan for two special areas in Costa Rica. And we are trying to make a the sustainable way for the coastal areas, but not only for coastal, but also for the inland areas. Uh, try to make less impact in general for environment. So it's great that so many rainforests are being opened to visiting tourists. However, you'd want to remember that it's not your back garden. Some of the species you encounter may not be as harmless as they look.
Oh, look at these things here. What are these, Eric? Oh, these are army ants. Be careful because they bite. Mm. It hurts quite a bit when they bite. There's thousands in there. Thousands. And where are they going? They're going to look for food. Yeah. They move the nest late in the day. Mm -hmm. But right now they're just looking for food. And they're going in different directions. There's some going this way and some going that way. Along the same track, if you know what I mean. Yep. Probably some of them already have food and they're taking it to the queen. Threats from another dimension took me in search of a murderous tree. Well, there's one very close. Oh yeah, there it is. That's the strangler fig, isn't it? Yes, this is it. Now, how does the strangler fig actually work? What it looks like to me here is an enormous tree with lots of different trunks. And I can actually see from one side of the tree right through to the other. Yeah, well, the thing is that the seed of a strangler fig, it's deposited up there by a bird, uh, up there on a branch. Of another it, tree completely? Yes, yeah. another tree. And then that seed germinates and starts growing um, as any other epiphyte. But then it sends roots down the trunk, uh, down down the host tree to down the ground. Down to the ground, yeah, mm -hmm. like, like Tarzan's strings. Yeah. Like, so all these strings are coming down to the ground. And then they get into the ground... And the canopy of the strangler fig grows taller and taller until it covers the canopy of the host tree. So they start competing for light, nutrients, and space. Eventually, that strangler fig wins over the host tree. So right here, we can barely see the trunk of the host tree, and it's... Completely, completely surrounded covered, by the roots. Yeah. So the roots are actually the roots of the strangler fig. They're a certain distance around, and the host tree inside is strangled to death. It can't grow any longer. That's right. And its leaves can't get any light because the other one is bullying it. That's correct. And then it begins to die. That's why we can see through it, That's in right. fact, because these are just roots. And they're enormous roots, aren't they? It's like the letter A. It's so wide at the bottom. And these roots anastomose around the trunk of the host tree what do you and mean anastomos? They fuse together. They fuse together like a yes. solid tree, yes. And become a trunk. So when the host tree dies and decomposes, then the strangler fig has a trunk of itself. And how come every tree in the rainforest isn't covered by a strangler fig? There's some trees that have ways to get rid of plants that are growing on them. There's trees that shed the bark... So whatever it's, it's growing on the bark of those trees will fall off. That's, that's one, one way. That's yeah. one way. Another way is that there's trees producing a sugar-like compound on the bark of the tree. And there's animals that feed on that. So they keep the trunk of the tree completely clean. There's some other trees that have association with ants. And these ants are going to clip off any plant that starts growing on the trunk of the tree or branches of that tree. So if they have a defense system, they're okay. And if they don't, they could well be could, covered by a strangler yes, fig. Yes, they could. All this growth, all this luxuriance doesn't come without a price. Life needs water and all this abundance needs rain.
Professor of Botany at Illinois State University, Joseph Armstrong, has spent a great deal of his life studying the dynamics of the rainforest. So the rain is easing off now, but boy, was that some rain. You never get rain like that in Ireland. No, it's tropical rain, and uh, it's certainly not, not the same as temperate rain. Coming straight down, uh, coming down in such torrents, arriving so suddenly, and then being surprisingly warm. It's like as if God turned on an enormous shower, because in Ireland when it starts to rain, oh, it starts to rain, run out and take in the clothes, there's time to do something. But here, you wouldn't get from here to the door before, the rain would be like down in bucketfuls. It's very, very sudden and no, no um, announcement about it at all. No, you can, it, it's true, it comes very, very fast. And uh, in the forest, though, you get an announcement because you can hear the sound of it moving through the forest before it gets to you. So you get a few minutes warning, two or three minutes warning in the forest. But out here at the edge of the forest, you don't hear it coming. Where does it all come from anyway? Where is all this rain from? Well, right, right here on the uh, easterly coast or easterly side in the Atlantic slope of, of Costa Rica, the weather's moving off the Caribbean Sea. And so this time of year, uh, they're picking up a warmth and moisture from the Caribbean. And it comes in as it rises over the central cordillera, uh, down comes the rain. And so we get this kind of wetter season uh, during this time of year because of the weather moving west. And then is there not rain that I was of the opinion of that it was warm in the morning, all the wet places in the forest evaporated, a huge big heap of cloud above the forest, and then in the afternoon the same rain came back down again. Does that not happen too? Oh, yes, yes, yes. In, in many seasons that's exactly what happens. You get a daily cycle almost of the, of the water. If you marked a, a raindrop, the same one would be going oh. round and round. Over and over again. The trees pick it up uh, from the soil, uh, they move it up the trunks, uh, they lose it through transpiration. The transpiration is what pulls the water up. You, you get uh, a cloud above. And then, and then you, later in the day as it cools, down it all comes. That's when you get the afternoon tropical storms. Uh, and they're frequent here, and, uh, but, but not in this season. We're getting it in from the sea at the moment. Oh, yes. So this area of the tropical lowlands is where you're doing your studies. Now, how much tropical lowland rainforest is there in the world? Uh, it's certainly uh, a terrifically threatened uh, ecosystem, and, and of all of the rainforest and different kinds of tropical forests, the lowland rainforest has been destroyed uh, more than others because it's an area which uh, is used for agriculture. So people can get at the lowlands perhaps sure. easier than going up the highlands. And does it matter? What effect is it going to have on this planet if it's all gone? You know, it, I, I really wish I could answer that question and give you the answer. Uh, but the, the actual truth is no one biologist or no group of biologists or any other scientist knows the complete answer. We know what we're going to be losing. We, we know we're going to be losing a lot of the rich biological heritage that we have on this planet. And so you can't species make it. Become extinct. Species are going to disappear. Species are becoming extinct. We're in the middle of the biggest extinction event in the history of life as we know it. Even bigger than the one that killed the dinosaurs. Well, that's what, uh, that's what some biologists think, that it's even bigger than that one. So we lose species, but will losing the rainforests affect the climate as well? Is it affecting the climate? I think that the consensus is that it certainly is, and that human activities of all sorts, 
including rainforest destruction, are affecting the climate. And this could be a very, very serious problem because climate is a worldwide thing, not a local thing. So we can change weather patterns, we can change rainfall patterns, we can change temperature extremes in other parts of the world, parts of the world that are very, very important for agriculture. So in the temperate regions in Ireland and Britain, this can be affected by what happens to the rainforests down here. Well, just imagine if the Gulf Stream changes uh, its course just a little bit. We would be as cold as Labrador, where it's a six-month winter. You're you're, going to be uh, (laughs) in a much, much colder country. And this could happen because the rainforests are gone, the areas of high pressure change, and then the winds are different and the sea currents are flowing in different directions. These are the problems that uh, could occur. No one can say what's going to happen. And of course we'll only find out when we can't change it. Oh, that's exactly right. I don't know of any biologist who's spent any time thinking about this issue who isn't concerned. These aren't pleasant things to contemplate, and yet it's still our job to, to think about these things. In 1969, the government of Costa Rica realized that they would lose their rainforest if they didn't take decisive action. So they designated 25% of the land as rainforest reserve. But there needed to be a boundary between the rainforest and the agricultural land. So farmers in these regions relinquished their holdings under compulsory purchase orders. All very well. But the government plan was bigger than its purse, and many of the farmers were not paid. Jose Trehouse is one such farmer. So he says that the farm was worth 15 million colonies at that time. And so it was a big? 90 hectares of land. So that was an enormous amount of money that yeah. it was worth. So he couldn't wait any longer, not being allowed to farm, and the government wasn't putting up the money, so he left. And the government still owned the money. So 18 years later, he is living here beside the National Park. On how big of a farm has he got here? It's a very small piece of land that he has here. He only owns two hectares and just a little bit over two hectares of land. And the government owes him a king's ransom, 50 or $60,000. Yeah, and the, and the government you know, took his farm that was 90 hectares. Does he have any hope of ever getting it? ¿Y usted cree que algún día le llegan a parar a pagar algo? ¿O muy difícil? No, por parte del gobierno no. Ya no, eso ya lo que hicieron, hicieron ahí. Y ahí cuando yo quise volver a hacer algo, me fue difícil. No. This farmer wasn't the only one who hasn't been paid. As I found out when I paid a visit to Rafael Guideras the marketing consultant with SINAC, the Costa Rican Department of the Environment. Uh, the government decided to buy the land for the farmers to uh, convert the, the, the land. It was um, a very hard work in terms of money, how uh, the quantity of money that we need at that time to establish new parks. 
and it's important to mention that Costa Rica have help from the international cooperation to establish the parks in different moments and also uh, using uh, national treasure and our money you know to establish and to pay for the farmers in terms to change the land use so are all the farmers paid or are there still some money to pay no not really at this moment uh, the government uh, have unpaid some lands of the national parks and the government is still continuing the the effort to pay off the farmers the, their lands. So they, they are still paying the money? Yeah, it's not all paid yet? It's, it's correct, not yes. all paid. And still they wait. It's all very well preserving the rainforest, but the people of Costa Rica themselves need to be educated about the global importance of what they have. I spoke to Carlos Drews at the National University. There have been some changes over the past few years and rainforest and conservation issues have become an essential part of the primary and secondary education. So children now, like my own children, are seeing words such as biodiversity, life zones, ecological webs and things like that at the age of seven which is uh, quite interesting. And they are taken to places such as the Institute of Biodiversity to do some basic exercises uh, whereby they learn the basic concepts of conservation and diversity, the, me the meaning of, of diversity also for human uh, development, the importance of the rainforest for their own sake and the sake of their grandchildren. So it has become really an issue that is implemented in children's minds meanwhile. And uh, here in Costa Rica, there is a program in northern, in a northern conservation area, teaching biology to society in a way that makes them commit themselves to its conservation later on, because they have a better understanding of it in the first place. So yes, I believe that these children will be very committed when they grow up. This is the most amazing sound I have ever heard. The birds were fine in the morning. The rain was pounding at lunchtime. But this cacophony of sound at night is absolutely awe-inspiring. Are they all frogs, Eric? There's frogs and the insects that we're hearing right now. There's at least four different species of frogs that we're hearing. And they all belong to the tree frog family. They're called tree frogs because they normally live up in the canopy, way up there, 30, 35 meters above the forest floor. But right now, because this is the mating season, then they come down from the trees into these little swamps, and the males come, come down first, and then they start calling. That attracts the females. Females come after them, and then they, they meet. Right and do here. the females call as well, or is it just the males that call? Uh, in some species, both of them call, but in some other species, only the males call. There's a really loud one there, that big, deep sound. What frog is that? That is called Hyla loquax. Now, that's the lighting name. I don't know the common name for it, but um, it's a very nice yellow frog, about two and a half inches to three inches long, and it's got some orange behind its legs. And that orange, it's, um, 
the mechanism they use in order to escape predators. Those insects, there's a whole big chorus of those. Indeed, they sound like a rattlesnake, but I suppose there's no rattlesnakes in this country. There's no rattlesnakes in this area. We do have one rattlesnake in Costa Rica. But not here. So they're all the insects. These are all insects, yes. And, of course, they're, I suppose, looking for mates too. This place is just one big orgy, isn't it? You bet. So I realised my lifelong ambition to visit a rainforest, and it was all and more than I had ever imagined. Where else could you hear such wonderful sounds of nature, all interacting with each other, all with their own place in the order of things. It's unthinkable that one species, us, could destroy such a creation.